This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And a pleasure to be joined now by Richard Herring, who's Professor of International Banking at the Wharton School. Richard, great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So what are your thoughts currently on the path that the Fed has taken to try and tackle inflation? Well, it's sort of been laid off the mark. I think uh, they deserve praise for the way they handled the initial stage of the pandemic. Uh, They really quickly unveiled six of the weapons they had developed in the great financial crisis to flood the markets with liquidity at a time when markets were clearly in disarray. Um, And it did stabilize markets really quite quickly. Uh, It added another six policies, which perhaps are a bit more more, uh, controversial because they involved taking the Fed into uh, supporting parts of the economy that they have not historically done. It got very close to being uh, fiscal policy in design. But nonetheless, I think uh, they deserve credit for having spared us a financial crisis at a time when we faced a really severe shock. Uh, I think they can be criticized, however, for not having uh, seen that the liquidity stage of the crisis was over. They continued the quantitative easing policy where they were literally adding liquidity to the economy at a pretty rapid pace until March uh, 2022, which was long after there was any rationale for trying to sustain liquidity in financial markets. If anything, financial markets appeared to be more liquid than was healthy. Um, This had a bad effect uh, in lots of different dimensions. It distorted uh, financial markets, led to, I think, some speculative bubbles uh, in meme stocks, cryptocurrencies. These might have happened, but they were certainly facilitated by the enormous amounts of liquidity and low interest rates. Um, It really exacerbated wealth inequalities, because although this policy had very little effect on real investment activity, which presumably was the rationale, it had a huge impact on asset prices. And since the wealthy are the people who hold financial assets and real assets by and large, it made uh, wealth inequalities much worse in the United States. Uh, It also developed, uh, distorted the allocation of resources by enabling zombie kinds of firms that had very little economic rationale for doing what they were, for continuing what they were doing by having uh, very, very low interest rates so that basically you could continue uh, by borrowing very, very cheap money. It also left them obviously with very limited options for dealing with a downturn uh, if they didn't want to go really negative on the nominal interest rate. The other problem is that they consistently underestimated inflation. Um, They clung to the notion that most inflation was transitory long after most analysts uh, had discredited that that line of thought. In fact, uh, exactly a year ago, well, a year ago tomorrow, uh, Chairman Powell had uh, once again used the transitory phrase, which was retired later. But it all meant that the Fed was very late off the mark in trying to deal with inflation. And the problem with inflation is that once it gets going, it tends to uh, get 
embedded in the economy in a way that's very, very hard to deal with. So, um, so it's yes, please go ahead. I was going to say, so obviously part of that, as you said, is the discussion around uh, the Federal Reserve somewhat missing the boat on how impactful inflation really has been. But we've obviously seen that inflation in this instance is also a global problem. So to a degree, you know, how much do the other central banks around the globe fit into this in terms of maybe missing what was uh, what was out there? I think the situation is is different from country to country. There certainly have been global factors, and perhaps two-thirds of the inflation problem is due to things like uh, the war in Ukraine, elevated energy costs, um, elevated agricultural costs, the uh, COVID policies in China that have led to e- enormous problems in supply chains. These things have been general. Uh, but in the U.S., it was layered onto an economy that was already overheating. Um, We had a remarkable uh, increase in fiscal policy, some $5 trillion or more, a very loose monetary policy layered on top of that. So we had an economy that was overheating even before these supply-side factors made things still worse and harder to penetrate. So I I think that... um, a lot of the problem is general, but uh, the U.S. has some problems that are definitely of our own making. So then what's your expectation when we see the Fed come together in September about what their their next move will be around interest rates? A, a lot of the discussion is obviously either 50 or 75 basis points. And, and now, obviously, I think the, the, the discussion is also about you know, thinking longer term, I think there was a belief that maybe, uh, you know, you would have this potential interest rate increase and then kind of understand where we're going. But it seemingly feels from yourself and a lot of the other guests in this hour that this is a much longer term discussion. Oh, I think it is. And you might well think that we've hit a watershed point in monetary policy. Uh, Over the last 20 years, Central banks have actually been dealing with an overall macro climate that has been very, very helpful to price stability. In fact, possibly uh, even uh, leading to a balance of deflationary trends. We've had a huge increase in the supply of labor, particularly when you think about the opening up of the former Soviet Union and uh, China's integration in the world economy with a huge increase in, in the labor force that has uh, kept prices quite low. Um, That's beginning to change. And with the pandemic, we're shifting into an era ahead where the demographics are very, very different. You have uh, aging workforce in uh, most developed countries. You have um, a decline in new entrants to the labor force. You have um, the after effects of COVID, which we're still beginning to uh, try to unravel, but they indicate that a number of people are suffering from long COVID, which makes it very difficult for them to participate in the labor force in the same way they did before. All of this means that you're going to have uh, less labor coming into the economy, which will tend to drive up wages. Uh, which in one, thing, one sense is a good thing, but you'll also have an increase in spending with uh, the increasing number of 
elderly uh, members of the public who are drawing heavily on their savings and, in many cases, uh, using medical services that are are well beyond uh, the cost of which is well beyond their savings rate. So you're going to have, I think, a very different, less friendly macro environment for policy to play out, which means that rather than obsessing about uh, deflation, as many central banks have been doing over the last decade or so, they're going to have to worry more about inflation. Um, That means that what the Fed did three years ago, um, in the last time they all met together in Jackson Hole, which was to announce a new uh, monetary framework, much of which revolved around setting uh, an inflation target that was to be an average of 2%, where they would counterbalance periods of undershooting, which had characterized some of the preceding era for the U.S., with periods of overshooting. But it never never really determined how long the period of overshooting would be. Um, And I think what they had in mind was that overshooting would be very modest. You might go up to 3% rather than the headline 9% we reached recently. Um, They really didn't specify how much overshooting would be tolerated. And the reliance on an average meant the Fed was always going to be behind. Um, And the problem, of course, is that monetary policy does work with long and variable lags. So if you wait until average targets are breached, uh, you may be uh, doing too little too late or even the wrong thing too late. So I think that whole new framework needs to be rethought and perhaps uh, changed quite radically. Uh, This year, interestingly, the theme at Jackson Hole is uh, constraints on economic policy, where they look at what's happening given that you have now supply-side issues to deal with, bottlenecks and shortages, and how those will interact with the kinds of fiscal and monetary accommodations that prevailed during the pandemic. Um, And so it's going to be a very, very different context when they're meeting once again together. Richard, great to have you with us. Thank you very much for your insight and your opinions. All the best. Thank you. Richard Herring, Professor of International Banking at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.